Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered for all the odds, props, promos, and parlays during the biggest gambling week of the year, March Madness, rounds one and two. It should be a national holiday. You can use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, everybody. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 137 here on the Take It Easy podcast. I hope you all are having a fantabulous, fantabulous weekend. It is Sunday, March 19th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. It's always difficult to juggle this first weekend of March Madness every year because we end the show on Friday. We have wired up on Sundays, which, you know, we do occasionally on Sundays, hit or miss, depending on if there's a prevalent topic, something pressing in sports. And by the time we get to Sunday... The second day of March Madness, all the storylines have passed. We've moved on to the round of 32, and oh, by the way, we're about to have eight more games by the time we come out with a podcast on Monday, and there's so many interesting storylines in March Madness that all of it ages out very quickly because there's so many interesting storylines, and one of the things that I say about sports all the time is stakes and storylines are what drive attention. March Madness has the ultimate stakes. It is one game, winner go home all day long long two three times within an hour for 48 consecutive hours uh, and sometimes even longer than that based on how the round of 32 goes sometimes the round of 32 is a dud sometimes there's crazy finishes like the year that Nevada was down 15 points with five minutes to play and they came back and won in the round of 32 you know it, it depends on the year but there's always something on the first two days of March Madness it is a spectacle it has all the stakes and if you're looking for storylines, it's really easy to find some and to get invested in them. And so today on the show, I wanted to talk about two storylines that came up over the last two days of March Madness. One of them is a personal story that relates to me, and I feel like I have a unique and interesting perspective we can bring to the table on San Diego State and them advancing to the Sweet 16, born and raised in San Diego, grew up five minutes away from that campus, have done reporting on this San Diego State campus and bringing new information to light. So we'll talk about them, and then we'll also talk about the national story, and we're going to talk about that one first, which is, of course... The 16 seed Fairleigh Dickinson, the lowest rated team in the entire tournament in the lowest rated conference in the entire country, beating Purdue, a number one seed with the likely national player of the year in Zach Eady, and beating them almost running away. They led pretty much all of the second half 
and Purdue just never caught them at the end. And it was Fairley Dickinson who pulled away at the end. They went from being up one to being down or being up one to being up five in the last three minutes of the game. They pulled away at the end from Purdue, the same way Princeton pulled away from Arizona in a classic the way you win in March Madness is shooting threes and by pulling off great defense. That's how 15s beat 16s. That's how we're looking at a pretty relevant situation in which a 15 or a 16 seed is going to make it to the Sweet 16 for the third year in a row when it had only happened one time in the 30 plus years prior to this season. And I've got theories about, you know, players having more freedom to transfer schools, leading to a discrepancy in the talent pool, which is leading to more of these shocking upsets because of the middle class growing in college basketball. All of that we'll talk about another day. What I just want to focus in on right now is Fairleigh Dickinson taking on Purdue. And we'll have lots of chances to get to know Fairleigh Dickinson. I mean, March Madness broadcasts are doing almost all of that right now in terms of interviewing the coach who said on TV after the first four, the more I watch Purdue, the more I believe we can beat them, which led to De'Aaron Fox of the Sacramento Kings tweeting out, this might be a historic beatdown by Purdue. And then Purdue ended up losing to Fairleigh Dickinson in the 16 versus one game. There's all sorts of storylines we can get invested in about Fairleigh Dickinson. And the same way we did it last year with St. Peter's and the way we did it two, two years ago with Oral Roberts, we can do the same with Fairleigh Dickinson. What I wanted to do in this short little segment that we have here is talk about the Purdue side of things because... I would really, really hate to be emotionally invested in Purdue basketball. And I'm the person who doesn't like emotionally investing in sports teams in the first place. Because of my team moving away from San Diego when I was 16 years old, I don't really vibe with the whole putting my time and energy into rooting for something that I cannot control and something as meaningless as sports. I believe I should take that same time and energy and invest it into like human relationships instead of doing it with corporations and college basketball teams. So if I were someone who emotionally invests, and I'm not perfect. Sometimes you fall in love with a team again and it ends up taking up too much of your emotional stability like the San Diego Padres or slowly becoming the Sacramento Kings and this incredibly fun journey that Sacramento is on. I just have a different relationship with sports. Even Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. We sat up here a couple wired ups ago and soapboxed about how badly we wanted Kansas City to do well because of the joy that Patrick Mahomes has brought me in bringing me back into this weird emotional space with sports. And I'm someone who doesn't like investing in sports. I would really hate to invest in Purdue basketball because Purdue basketball is currently in the midst of their greatest run in program history. Matt Painter is the coach there. You've heard me and Razor joke about, oh, hey, Matt Painter's still hanging around at Purdue. Like, Purdue has put multiple players into the NBA over the last six to seven years. When Carson Edwards was there, they were the Cinderella team that wasn't really a Cinderella. I believe they were a, a seven seed that year or a three. They were either a six or a seven seed, and they ended up going to the Elite Eight because Carson Edwards was looking like Steph Curry, putting up 35 points a game in March Madness and beating Tennessee in a crazy overtime game where... Tennessee, who had three national players, uh, uh, three All Americans 
as the number two seed, lost to Carson Edwards just going hero ball. And Purdue was really good that year. They made a run to the Elite Eight. And then they followed that up by being better in the regular season than even their Elite Eight Carson Edwards team. Purdue, in the last three years, and I'm going to go three years post-pandemic because obviously the pandemic season messes up a lot of this stuff when talking about college basketball because there was no March Madness. Purdue was a four-seed in 2021, a three-seed in 2022, and the number one seed in the East region in 2023. Purdue basketball has never had a stretch in which they have been the number four seed or better in three consecutive seasons. And they pulled that off against Purdue. Or they pulled that off this past run after the Carson Edwards season in which they went to the Elite Eight. In those three seasons, Purdue has now lost to 13-seed North Texas in the first round. As a three-seed last year lost to 15-seed St. Peter's in the Sweet 16, which was probably at the time an all-timer upset. St. Peter's had been the, the third 15-seed to ever make it to the Sweet 16, and they became the first to ever make it to the Elite Eight. So that was an all-timer of a loss for Purdue, like one that derails programs. When Texas lost to Abilene Christian back in 2021, they ended up... I mean, Shaka Smart didn't get fired, but Shaka Smart saw the writing on the wall and left to go coach at Marquette. And so at the end of that run for Purdue, they came back with four new starters and Zach Eady, who's the National Player of the Year, going to be a top 10 pick in the draft. And they lost as a number one seed to a 16. I don't know if they rebound from this because the last time, the, the only precedent we have for a 16 losing to a one is the Virginia bouncing back and winning the championship the next year. And the good thing Virginia had going was they had NBA-level talent on that team. You could point to DeAndre Hunter, you could point to Kyle Guy going to the NBA, but like they had legitimate NBA talent on those teams. What ended up happening for Purdue is that Purdue, after going from Carson Edwards to Edie and transitioning players and for the first time in program history being a top 15 team every year for three straight seasons... They've now lost two of the most incredible upsets in the history of college basketball, at the very least in recent history of the last decade. So going back to Florida Gulf Coast, it's like UMBC in 2018, it's St. Peter's in 2022, and it's fairly Dickinson as the 16 seed beating the one here in 2023. And Purdue having those back-to-back, including losing to North Texas in the first round in like a more normal 13 versus four game it's just absolutely gut-wrenching and i can't believe that purdue finds themselves in this situation and i know this is slowly morphing more into like a eulogy for purdue i have no idea how purdue bounces back because they have the financial resources they have the coach who's been there for over 15 years now and is the legend at the program they are having their best run of basketball in program history and There's no reason why it can't sustain. Just because you lose these heartbreaking upsets doesn't mean that your program is derailed for good. This is college basketball. It it means almost uh, not, it means next to nothing 
when you lose these types of upsets. What hurts for Purdue is just the emotional investment of this being the greatest run in your program's history. And now in three straight years, you have lost to North Texas, St. Peter's as the 15 seed in the third round of the tournament. And... Fairly Dickinson as the second one seed to ever lose to a 16 seed. Two of those are historic. The North Texas one, I was reminded by Razor Rosenthal that they had lost to North Texas as a 13-4 game the year uh, back in 2021. And for that to be the run after Carson Edwards with the best Purdue teams that they've had ever in a, in a stretch of three to four years, that's just a brutal run to go through and like i said off the top it's not like oh this is the end of the program this is not the end of everything for purdue it's just man i would really hate to emotionally invest in that team i would really hate to really have parts of my emotional stability invested in rooting for purdue basketball because for all i've i've seen how sports radio and sports fandom works when you spend some part of every day thinking about the most nuanced parts of the team to the sixth man on the bench to strength of schedule to tournament matchups against Ohio State who's a 13 seed in the Big 10 with a 7 and 14 record if you had to go through all of that all season long for it to end against Fairleigh Dickinson in an all-timer of an embarrassment, and then to have to repeat it for the third consecutive year in a row of getting to the first round and slipping on the banana peel and slipping on the banana peel again and having it hurt. I gotta be honest, like it, I would start to take it personally. That would be the moment where the red flags would go up and I would say the, the payoff is not worth the investment. I think the payoff is not worth the investment unless you're like a... a sort of Kansas City fan like I am where you're not riding or dying with every result you just want good things to happen for them I I think unless you are removing your emotional well-being and like your deep investment of energy and time and sometimes money and resources into these teams I don't I just don't think it's worth it as a fandom and for me I'm looking at what Purdue's going through I'm like I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze. Virginia fans seem cool that they won the national championship and the, it takes away the embarrassment of being the first one seed to ever lose to a 16. I don't know what other type of success would have to happen to wipe that away. And I don't know what type of success it would have had to wipe it away last year. Like when they were the three seed playing the 15 and if they win, they play the eight seed North Carolina in the Elite Eight to get be- to get to the Final Four, back to the place Carson Edwards got them with a heroic, fun season with no expectations. To then have all the expectations and to collapse three years in a row, man, I can't. I just can't imagine being a fan of that team and, and emotionally investing as a fan of that team. Speaking of emotional investments in teams and putting too much of your emotions into sports. Let's talk about the team I used to root for, which is San Diego State. San Diego State has gone on their once every five year run to the Sweet 16. And all the way through, I just kept thinking, man, they are going to mess up somewhere along the way. They were playing College of Charleston, and I'm like, this is the game they lose every tournament. Five seed loses to the 12. And then they made it to the second round, and I was like, oh, they get to play 13-seed Furman 
in the second round of the tournament. And then I'm reminded that 10 years ago this weekend, San Diego State made it to the second round of the tournament and lost to 15 seed Florida Gulf Coast. We were Purdue before Purdue. When Purdue made it to the Sweet 16 and lost to St. Peter's, we were the first. The team that made it to the second round played the 15 seed that beat a two, and then the 15 seed beat us, the first ever 15 seed to make it past the first weekend of the tournament. It was against San Diego State. The cursed team was going to be cursed again, and then San Diego State won both of their tournament games and won both of their tournament games rather handily to make their third Sweet 16 in the last 13 years. The first time they made it, I was nine years old. Now I'm 21, and they've made it back to the Sweet 16 again. And as I mentioned off the top, I grew up in San Diego, five minutes away from that San Diego State campus, used to go to those games as a child. I went to watch Kawhi Leonard, who was then the inspiration for our book. There, Both my grandparents graduated from San Diego State. There is a an emotional investment of community that comes with San Diego State and them making it to the second round of the tournament the last two times they made it when I was a child and a teenager, one a child, one a teenager, those two times felt awesome. And the year that they were going to make the Sweet 16 again in the pandemic, when they were going to be the number two seed in the West before the tournament got canceled, that season for San Diego State also brought me the level of investment and fun that comes with community and some of the things that I just talked about I would hate to have with Purdue and wanting good things for San Diego because that's one of our three professional sports teams. It was the Chargers, it's the San Diego Padres, and it's San Diego State basketball, and a little bit San Diego State football, although San Diego State football never has a chance to compete on the national stage by virtue of the structures and systems of college football. So it's basically football with the Chargers is what it used to be. That was your football team, baseball team, and your basketball team was San Diego State because they are consistently one of the 20 best teams in all of college basketball. And this time around, the emotional investment has died. And it's not just because I have moved to a new city up here in Sacramento and have lived in the Northern California area for about four years. It's it's not just that. It is everything going on with the San Diego State Athletic Department that we have been reporting on going back to August of last year. And for those who have not been up to date, I will give you the SparkNotes version. I'm going to link the episode into today's show from August 26th when we talked about Matt Areza and San Diego State. The SparkNotes version is that Matt Areza, whose nickname was the Punt God, and he was drafted out of San Diego State, the best player on the team, one of the best punter prospects that has ever existed in the sport. He, he got national attention for San Diego State because he would kick these monster punts. Matt Areza is detailed to have sexually assaulted a 17-year-old girl along with two other teammates at a San Diego State party when Matt Areza was a junior on the San Diego State team. The girl ended up getting details and getting a rape kit and ending up going through the process of how you deal with sexual assault and reporting it. And 
from the detailed reporting that we brought out, obvious, we talked about how the legal system is not equipped to handle such cases because you need an accumulation of evidence quickly, which the girl and the people around her tried to do, and they just couldn't move quickly enough and timely enough for the San Diego Police Department to actually act upon this case and actually bring charges, in addition to the fact that you had three football players of whom the university has a reputation on the line of protecting unless you want to see the athletic director and the head coach be fired because it becomes a public scandal, which is the opposite of what you should do in a leadership position. A leadership position is recognizing that there are less, there are greater incentives to do the right thing than there are to protect the image of the university and try and keep it under wraps for as long as possible and deflect and do some of the tactics that we detailed San Diego State doing in that story. Our ba- our conclusion at the end of the analysis was the police department was never going to be able to get enough evidence in order to move forward with a criminal prosecution. San Diego State had a moral and ethical obligation to protect its young people the same way that these colleges and universities that essentially operate as functional governments should have a responsibility to all of their students. If you're going to operate like a government, if you're going to collect tuition similar to the form of taxes and you're going to provide housing, food, uh, education, transportation, many of the uh, healthcare. If you're going to provide these necessities like a government and accept tuition payments akin to taxes, if you're going to operate like a functional government, you have a moral and ethical responsibility to the people underneath your watch. And San Diego State, at the at best, exhibit, exhibited gross negligence as it relates to the Matt Areza case, and at worst, exhibited a cover-up of Matt Areza and two San Diego State teammates sexually assaulting a 17-year-old at a San Diego State party. And so there was a press conference when the details came out around Areza, and athletic director John David Wicker, who is the direct person responsible from a leadership standpoint, and head coach of the football team, Brady Hoke, had like one of the worst press conferences of all time, like asked questions about it, immediately said, we are not talking about this, then walked out of the press conference. The athletic director came back 10 minutes later when someone told him, you cannot just walk out on questions about how you handled sexual assault by a fo- by multiple players on the football team and the gross negligence that you exhibited in taking a moral and ethical stance to protect the people on the team even if it's putting the the players on leave even if it's having them be off the if it's having them be off the football team go on administrative leave filing title nine reports which san diego state failed to report until months after the fact because of this the story they tell is that the police were involved and they asked them not to and there's a lot of details in this case where the san diego police department also dropped the ball on this case which then led to San Diego State basically saying, we are not responsible. This was the police department, blah, blah, blah. And there's, I don't want to say blah, blah, blah to dismiss it. It's just, this is the story that San Diego State has told in a, in one of the worst press conferences of all times aftermath. This, the university made a statement. They had an awful press conference where the coach and the athletic director walked out, refusing to answer questions. And then the athletic director came back with a prepared statement trying to be like, hey, could we get a do-over on this one? And again, gross negligence on the part of San Diego State at best 
cover up at worst. And if there is a moral and ethical responsibility to protect the young people of this campus and of those universities, then the school dropped the ball. And Brady Hoke and John David Wicker, I personally believe, based on circumstantial evidence, should be questioned more about why they are still employed in the positions that they are. If there were more public details and public pressure on this case at a larger university, perhaps John David Wicker and Brady Hoke would no longer be employed by San Diego State University. And if there were more public pressure being put on this story, more details would come to light because more journalists would be looking at, hey, what details would bring up that this was either just gross negligence or potentially a cover up? And there were no criminal charges filed against Matt Areza because it's incredibly difficult to prosecute these cases, even in a state like California that has looser laws in terms of sexual assault than, say, Texas, where Deshaun Watson was not charged criminally for multiple cases of sexual assault over the past couple years. And so all of these details make it so that little by little I have stopped emotionally investing in this program. And that's why I look at this year and the Sweet 16 and San Diego State having their greatest run. And my my initial instinct as a sports fan is to make and a, and a sports comedian is to make the joke, hey, did the San Diego Padres break the sports curse? Like the most infamous San Diego sports curse that has existed where all of your teams will leave you, all of your heroes in sports will die young. And you will never have any chance to ever succeed at anything in the sport. Hey, did San Diego State kind of or did San Diego break the curse by beating the Dodgers last year? Is the curse broken? Is San Diego State making the Sweet 16 with a team that probably wasn't expected to make the Sweet 16? Is that breaking the curse? That's what my sports brain and sports comedy brain wants to make the point about. And then on the flip side, I recognize that San Diego State advancing to the Sweet 16 provides an opportunity to bring up how the school did not protect its young people from sexual assault and sexually predatory behavior. And in fact, potentially, based on the details we talked about on August 26th, potentially went as far as to suppress information and suppress details around the sexual assault and potentially other cases that we don't even know about. And so, based on the information that we have present, I think if there were more public pressure, John David Wicker and Brady Hoke would no longer be employed by the University of San Diego or by San Diego State University. And watching what has played out recognizes that like as much as there's like a oh good for them feeling this time around, it does not feel the same as it did back in 2014 or 15 and a lot of that doesn't just have to do with like my decrease in emotional investment a lot of it has to do with the people in positions of power at san diego state who enable and protect these types of people in a lot of these situations and so san diego state is in the sweet 16 and they have a national spotlight and with this little platform that we have i want to bring up the fact that there is an athletic department ripe in scandal right now at San Diego State, and there really should be some more perspective held to... There should be more people talking about what is happening at San Diego State and putting pressure and accountability to people who are tasked, first and foremost, with protecting young people. That is the first and foremost expectation of people at San Diego State is to protect 
the people as if they are a functional government because we should think about these universities and colleges, especially in the California state system and a school like San Diego State with billions of dollars in endowments and profits. It, we should focus on these schools as if they are functioning governments. And if we think about them as functioning governments and we think about athletic departments as one branch of these governments or one department in these governments, if we think about it within that context, it becomes a much more egregious case that you have at the very at the very least gross negligence when it comes to sexual assault and protecting women and young people on the campus of San Diego State. And within that athletic department, the people who are leaders should be held accountable because they have not handled the situation in any way that is satisfactory. And in fact, even go as far as to have one of the most egregious press conferences of all time. And without explaining some of the full details that we talked about back on August 26th, again, we're going to link that episode in this we're going to link the the episode from August 26th talking about Matt Areza in today's episode. We've touched on the biggest points of it as well. Focusing on that is an imp- is what I feel is more of an opportunity right now now that San Diego State has advanced and holding pressure to a university that I have information about and have invested in before and perhaps I have a unique perspective when it comes to that case. So as San Diego State basketball advances to the Sweet 16 and as I make the jokes like I did earlier about breaking sports curses, it is important to hold people accountable at San Diego State and potentially put more bring more light to this case that will potentially lead to journalists and people uh, with more resources to potentially look into what is happening at San Diego State. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We're going to have more episodes coming up all throughout this week and beyond. Thank you for tuning in to our episode here about uh, a couple of stories around March Madness We'll be back again Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as we are every single day here on the Take It Easy podcast. In the meantime, thanks for stopping into Wired Up episode 137 and take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.